Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Today I'm chatting to Rowena Samaracina. She's a commercial sports lawyer and a business owner. She's currently a council member of the National Sports Council of Sri Lanka, amongst many other career highlights such as being at the Olympics with Usain Bolt and being named as one of Legal 500's Next Generation Partners in Sport for 2021. She's also a woman, born in the UK to Sri Lankan parents in the 1970s, a divorcee, a woman of colour in a predominantly male white industry, a woman whose lifestyle makes it easy to assume she has it easy. In this episode, Ro opens up about a number of highs and lows in her life and her career, her passion for improving diversity and inclusion within sport, and how society views a childless career woman. Settle in for a brilliantly honest and inspiring talk to a truly driven, positive and very human woman. Hi Ro, thanks for joining me. Hi Katie, it's lovely. Thank you for having me on this. My absolute pleasure. Now, just as a small di- disclaimer, we do know each other, although not terribly well. <laughs> We've, uh, we were potentially going to be on a team together for a big ski mountaineering race, which was COVID cancelled. And um, we have been uh, have lots of mutual friends. But this is probably one of the first times we've had a chance to chat for a long time. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we were just saying, weren't we? It's like uh, possibly a couple of years since I actually saw you in person. <laughs> Yeah, so it's really great to have a chat. Now, one of the reasons, uh, well, the main reason I wanted to chat to you is because I uh, originally is because, you know, I follow your career with absolute uh, delight. And, you know, you may find this a bit odd and creepy and stalky, but (laughs) I just find what you do and what you have achieved uh, as a woman in sport, especially absolutely extraordinary. And I mean, you have all these phenomenal accolades to your name, uh, you know, council member just recently elected to the National Sports Council of Sri Lanka, director of the Professional Squash Association, amongst other incredible titles, running your own business, 10 years as a general counsel in-house. And, you know, so I wanted to talk to you about that because in a very small way, I'm also a woman working in sport, but uh, there's lots of other stuff that we want to talk about. Um, Tell me a little bit, if you can, about the sort of highlights of your career to date um thank you for that lovely introduction um yeah I mean I guess uh I feel fortunate to do something that I love that I wake up every day passionate about um I was an athlete growing up um and sports always been a huge part of my life so it wasn't a coincidence that I directed my career in that way but it's as I'm sure we will talk about, it hasn't been easy along the way, but um, but it's certainly um, been very rewarding for me. Uh, and now being in the, in the position where I can hopefully help people um, to do what I do is really, really great. But in terms of highlights, I mean, I mentioned I used to be a sprinter um, and I spent uh, 11 years working with the IAAF, which is now World Athletics. Um, and during that time, got to uh, work on every world championships in athletics, became really good friends with some of my heroes as a child, working with them, getting to know them, becoming their peers. 
and then also um, working with some pretty high profile athletes like Usain Bolt. It was just it was just a dream, actually. I still remember one of my clients saying to me at the first world championships I went to, which was in Berlin in 2009, that he just watched me sat there watching the event and just taking it all in. And he just said to me, you just you love you love the sport, you love what you do. And, and I said to him, actually, I had to pinch myself because I couldn't believe that this was my job. <laughs> and to go on to do six more um, and then go to three Olympics during that time was a bit of a, a dream come true. So it's been a great journey. And uh, I feel very fortunate, like I said, to, to, to be able to do something I love so passionately. Because you were there when Usain Bolt set the world record or beat his own world record is that right yeah that's right so um he set a world record in 2008 at the Beijing Olympics um and then broke that in 2009 in Berlin and uh that's both the 100 and the 200 um and the 100 still still stands today so it's it's pretty it was it was a pretty spectacular moment and I actually uh did a photo shoot with him not me personally but I (laughs) coordinated um, with for one of our sponsors just before his medal ceremony for the 200 meters so to be on the track with him at that point in time was 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 a great experience and, and yeah the, the record still stands today who knows when it will be broken extraordinary is that the one where he looked like he was practically jogging to the finish in the 200 meters uh so uh, yes that then the 200 it was yeah that was yeah he was just so far ahead and yeah goodness knows what he could have done if he'd have kept running through (laughs) (laughs) indeed and so you mentioned that you were you were a sprinter yourself so obviously that had a very special um, meaning to you and then you were very good at sports at school you were into squash and hockey and all sorts of sport you were very musical I hear you're a grade eight pianist as well that's my secret secret yeah you're like um Condoleezza Rice wasn't it she was the secretary of state she was like a concert pianist as well and you think oh my word how do you find the time (laughs) and so the and these were all things that you have worked really hard for because you 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 arrived or you were born in the UK your parents came to live there from Sri Lanka and as I understand it your mom and dad really wanted to I think as you put it protect you from racism uh, growing up in the UK as a woman of colour? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, they grew up, at, well, they had a very privileged lifestyle in Sri Lanka. My father was a tea planter, so they lived on the estates. They had chefs, cooks, drivers, everything. Um, but my mother had trained in the UK as a nurse and always um, had this plan for us, even though I wasn't born, my brother was born. But for us to come to the UK and to given the opportunities that that we have in 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 the west so that was a very important element for them but but they were both also very acutely aware of the the tensions that already existed then when they when they moved to the UK they lived in areas where they were perhaps the only Asian Mm -hmm. families I my first two schools that I went to I was the only non-white person so it was we was very evident of our situation, uh, even though at that early stage, perhaps it hadn't been so um, so marked, I guess, um, our experiences. But no, mum and dad, especially my mother, um, with me more than my brother, was very protective and was very conscious that 
life would be a little bit more mm -hmm. difficult for me because I was a woman and because I was Asian. Mm -hmm. So she did things like um, I was sent to elocution lessons like Eliza Dutzel um, <laughs> from the age of around five so that I, I was taught to speak like this because she was very conscious that she didn't want me to have any sort of accent. She didn't bring us up on our mother tongue, um, mm -hmm. again, because they wanted us to speak perfect English um, and all of these sorts of things that we take a little bit for granted, but it's, it is, you do see discrimination against people for, for things like this. So mm. it's, it was actually quite forward thinking of, of my mother at the time to, to do this for me. Mm -hmm. But even though at the time, I don't think she probably appreciated how important all of these things would be. It, very forward thinking, because this was, we're talking the England in the in 1970s, 1980s, yeah. um, which was a, a time of high tension anyway. And how did it work? Were there still incidences where you felt the odd one out? Yeah, I mean, I um, it's funny, I, I talk a lot about uh, diversity mm. and discrimination. I, I don't like to talk about um, specific instances because... Um, well, I mean, it, I think it's important to have the conversation because I think we don't talk about it enough. Mm. And I think that's why we're at this impasse that we're in right now. Um, but also, I don't see the benefit so much of going over things over and over again. But I think it is important to understand because I think a lot of people, I, I've had friends say to me that they almost forget that I'm foreign uh, because, you mm. know, I think it's meant in a nice way because I am British. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I am also very much Sri Lankan. You know, I'm a, I'm a dual citizen. I, I, Sri Lanka is a massive part of my life. As you mentioned, I'm, I'm on the National Sports Council there now as well. But it's one of these sort of situations where you're never quite accepted in either. So in Britain, I'm sort of looked at perhaps as being sometimes not British. Mm. Um, and in Sri Lanka, I'm very much, they, we, they have this term for us called the coconut, mm. the brown on the outside and white on the inside. Um, yeah. So you kind of sit in the middle of this, this crazy situation where sometimes it's difficult to, to, to know which one's really your home. So uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely did have experiences. I think when I was younger, I had the benefit of naivety um, that I didn't really appreciate things things so much uh, I do talk about the story of me uh, being cast at the age of seven as the lead in our school play mm. which was the firebird mm -hmm. uh, and then it probably being taken off me because, and given to the girl with ginger hair <laughs> so it was uh, it was one of these early experiences of being told I wasn't the right color yeah. or have the right color hair to be the lead of a, of a school play and Again, like I think, I think at the time it's all washed over my head, and I didn't really think about it. Mm. But but little things like that that were sort of constant, you know. And and this is what I think we really need to work on moving forward because it's it's those sorts of tiny little um, acts or microaggressions. Words. Is that yeah, really exactly is. microaggressions that that create these inherent biases. And it's it's you know obviously I had an experience which isn't particularly nice but also for all the children around me they're learning that it's okay to treat this person differently because they look differently and I think that's the work that really needs to be done to address diversity in society because we all have these inherent biases that come from ex 
seeing and watching experiences like this when we're when we're younger. Indeed, and you, it's something that you said has has driven you to doing to do what you're doing just now because I know you're heading up a, a, a task force. Is that the correct word? Yeah, yeah. So I, I do um, when after George Floyd's murder and we had this big push for Black Lives Matters, a lot of organisations started to look at themselves internally around how diverse they were. And especially in the sports industry, um, we have a real problem around diversity. We've always had a problem um, on gender diversity. Um, but I guess now people have become a bit more aware of ethnic diversity as well as a result of all of this. Um, and a lot of organisations sort of had this knee-jerk reaction where they just released the statement basically saying that they weren't racist and um, were committed to addressing diversity but no one really knew what they were going to do so they just rushed to make a statement because they felt they had to. One of the organizations I sit on which is uh, on the board for which is Chartered Institute for the Management of Sports and Physical Activity which is the organization that basically manages the the workforce the sporting workforce in the Mm. UK the chair actually came to me and said, Rowena, what, what do you want to do about mm. this? And I said, I would really like us not to make a statement right now because the fact of the matter is the leisure sector in the UK is 96% male white. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we do have an issue. Uh, and right now we don't have a plan how to address that issue. So any statement would have to basically say that, whereas I'd rather sort of get the wheels in motion and plan something that actually can make that can really drive change Mm. so that's a little bit where we're at right now and we've had some really good conversations with Sport England Um, Sport England made a few statements uh, over the last few weeks about uh, their strategy and we are really involved with them driving this forward And, and the plan really is to sort of understand people's experiences I have a big feeling that the link between working in sport and participating sport is really close Um, If you never went to an athletics track or if you never actually attended a gym, why would you go and work in a gym or why would you become a personal trainer? So I I think there are exceptions, but I think there is a lot to be a lot of work to be done on these minority groups, lower socioeconomic groups Mm. um, participating in activity uh, to address diversity in, in the bigger picture. So, um, yeah, it's something that's obviously very personal to me. I am probably someone who's a little bit more outspoken, uh, driven by this, not one to sit in the corner and not say anything. And so I think I look at myself as being given an opportunity to actually make change and actually have to do something with that. And just to make it easier for those people coming through, you know, I know that not everyone is like me or or feels comfortable enough to to talk about these things so we have to really make it easier for those people because it shouldn't just be the people who sort of thrive on being underestimated mm-hmm. uh, you know because that really because that, that that actually thrives me I love it when I walk into a meeting room and people think I'm there to make the tea and then they <laughs> the look of horror on their faces when they realize that I'm the decision maker in the room it, it, that you know I, I find that funny it's not funny no it's not <laughs> funny this is why we're in the situation we're in today yeah. but um but no the idea is is to make it much more accessible for everybody so that so that people don't have to have the same struggles that perhaps um I did and my my peers did growing up. 
you've said before that you saw a lot of talented athletes drop out for various reasons. You know, whether that's girls, you know, growing up feeling awkward in their sports kit or, as you say, people in communities where sport is not perhaps considered a priority or there's no sort of community support for that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, sports for youth has always been a challenge. I mean, I don't know how much you know about the sporting environment in the UK, but growing up in the 80s with Margaret Thatcher at the helm, she actually sold off all the playing fields <laughs> because sport wasn't on the on the political agenda um, until the 90s Labour government came into power, really. Um, and you can see that uh, from the, the change it's affected. In the 96 Olympic, we were 35th in the medal table. Oh. Um, and then if you see the difference by the time we came to London and then on to Rio, mm. um, that was all a, a purposeful strategy that was put in place. Yeah. Um, and it was also a real shift in in the government's view on sport and the fact that it wasn't just an entertainment or a pastime. Actually, it was it, it was a well and actually it's still, it's still a debate we have today because, you know, with COVID and everything going on and potentially closing leisure centres. Actually, the whole point that we're trying to make is, is that actually the sector is a cost saving, a cost benefit mm. to the government, because actually, you know, it reduces diabetes, it reduces strain on the NHS, uh, mental health, all of these elements that sport is very much at the forefront of, but that weren't recognised in the past. Yeah. So, you know, when we grew up, we were um, obviously, I think you were a lot like me, that we were very active and into sport. I mean, for me, it was very much my parents mm -hmm. because my my parent, my father was an international sportsman. My mum played a lot of sports. So we were introduced to it at a young age, whereas if perhaps there are children who don't have that parental influence in schools, it's not so easy to come by. You know, PE has sort of come into the curriculum and gone out of the curriculum and sort of sways in and out as there's more pressure on children to focus on their studies. Oh, extraordinary. So it's, it's it is a bit of a personal mission of mine um you know i really i believe i believe in the benefits of sport um not only from a health perspective but also the link between playing sports at a young age and the skills we le we learn in the business world so confidence leadership traits all of these sorts of things mm -hmm. so i think it's really important for young people to be part of a team know what it feels like to be part of a team to lose yeah. Um, it's really important to learn that you don't always win and learn it in the sports environment where it doesn't really matter because when you get to your mid-20s, 30s, when you're losing things, that's not the time to learn how it feels. So all of these sorts of things that are really important as part of sports, to go on to the point that you made about mm. girls in particular, you know, I was a young girl growing up. I, for example, hated swimming. Uh, I was terrible at it. So therefore I didn't like it, but I would look at excuses to not have to go to my swimming class, you know? Mm. And, I, and I think there are so many girls out there who have the same story. By the time I went to a mixed school at the age of 13, it was even worse because suddenly mm. there are boys uh, looking at you, um, you're body conscious. There are periods there's all these sorts of things to think about that you just that that is just so traumatic for a teenager and sport almost highlights those things yeah um let alone if you're not very good at it or uh, if there's peer pressure around you so 
especially on young girls, I think there is, we do see this drop off where around the age of 13, where they sort of become conscious of themselves and, and their emotions. But then also, again, those girls who do continue playing sport, perhaps around the age of 17, then also they say, well, actually, there's no future in this for me. So maybe mm. I'll stop playing now as well. So for what I I would like to see a change of is, is to target these particular groups um, and see how we can keep girls in sport. And I think mothers have a big part to play in that mm-hmm. because I think if a, if a mother is interested in, especially for girls, fathers tend to take their sons to sports. I think it's mm-hmm. changing a little bit now. But I think where a mother's interested, then I think there's more chance of a girl staying in sport. I've pitched a lot of broadcasters sort of programming around around sport rather than sport itself. And I've always said this is the way to get non-sporty mothers interested in sport through the tales around sport, through the stories of the girls who play sport and the and how it's perhaps brought them out of a particular life. And and that's I think is a way to get to get more women interested in sport. Oh, absolutely. I mean I you, well, you may or may not know, and my podcast listeners who have been paying attention will know that I did not take up sport properly until I was nearly 40. And I I mean, I hated it at school. I absolutely hated it. Um, I wasn't good at it. I didn't like the running around. I was built like a, an ironing board till I was about 15. And I was enormously conscious of that. And I have a daughter and I cannot think of a better way to teach her about the benefits of sport than the fact that I now do sport, you know, not to a a very high level, but I do it, that I stay Mm. fit, that I am happy to go out, get sweaty and, you know, all that sort of good stuff. And I could not agree more. It's so important. And it's only, I think, because I married a very sporty man that I saw the benefits of raising sporty children, especially a sporty daughter. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so that is a big passion of yours, obviously. Um, you moved to Switzerland in about 2007, as I understand it, to uh, for a great big opportunity to work on the, the Euros 2008, if I said that correctly, my non-football you knowledge. Did. <laughs> <laughs> not bad, Casey, not oh, bad. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> What I've read and understood is that because of diversity issues within sport, you know, that was that was a long time coming in terms of the number of interviews and the persistence that you had to show in order to to get work, not because you weren't talented or bright or capable, but just because there were some barriers in your way. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, when I was uh, when I qualified as a lawyer in the early 2000s, um, sport was still relatively in its infancy um especially sports law there was a there was a commercial element of sport but people didn't use lawyers for it so there were probably around 20 sports lawyers I think out there um and I know this because I befriended them all (laughs) (laughs) and uh I um I mean I was I was fortunate to have um I was uh, in my law firm where I qualified uh we did a little bit of motorsport work so my very first sports work was negotiating some Formula One driver agreements which was which was pretty cool Mm. um so I managed to get that on my CV but certainly all at the time it was all 
white men. I mean, maybe mm. there were a couple of women, um, but not not many. Um, and yeah, in my in my quest to to become best friends with all these lawyers, mm. um, some of them would would regularly say to me, "Well, what do you know about sport?" And it was it, I always found that quite interesting. I mean, now I kind of see what they meant because it was more about the business of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but at the time, I kind of couldn't help feeling that I wonder if I'd be treated the same if I was a lad, yeah. a guy uh, talking about going to play football or, or playing golf with you or something like that. Um, and it's absolutely not fair because I have some amazing mentors in my life that I've known from that period who are all white men, but who have been the biggest advocates for me and have really helped me progress my career, Amazing. continue to support me. So um, so it wasn't all of them, that's for sure. Mm. Um, but certainly it was it was really challenging at the time um, to, to break in. By the time I, I took the job on the Euro 2008, I reckon I'd probably had about 30 interviews in the space of about six six months Oof. or something um and you know that's a lot of rejection which again because I because I dealt with loss mm-hmm. I was okay with. <laughs> very important lesson yes uh kept me driven um and I always say that actually I think the opportunity that uh, arose and, and my old boss will laugh if he listens to this and hears and talk about it because the the agency that I worked for was a the, the lawyers were, were a group of guys and the lawyers at the time at UEFA were a group of guys and there were a lot of egos and there was a lot of clashing of egos mm. and so I think my boss at the time thought oh I'm just gonna throw this girl into the middle of it and see what happens <laughs> <laughs> and it really paid off amazing <laughs> um, because uh, I think you know I, I for me I was just so happy to be there I didn't care um that I was just getting this amazing experience selling tv deals for for the year 2008 that you know there wasn't there wasn't any motive for me I sort of just got in the middle and 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 really I think it did help diffuse the tension in the relationship Mm. so credit to my boss (laughs) (laughs) took a bit of a risk but it worked um but yeah then after you have the year 2008 on your CV um you know I had a very good training um so pretty much most of the people I'd interviewed with came knocking on my door asking me if I wanted to go work with them so it was um, it was quite a nice position to be in, but certainly not. Um, again, it's so difficult because I, I do talk a lot on diversity and, and sort of the challenges mm. that I've had. And it's really difficult to sort of look back and be and wonder if things would have been different, if I'd have been a white guy if it would, with exactly the same CV, yeah. whether whether there would have been more opportunities open to me, you know, and I, I, I like to think well on the world and I like to think that actually perhaps it was just simply that there was a better person but it's it's really difficult sometimes and and then when you look back and and you see people sort of come calling back to you <laughs> and you're like well but why weren't you interested in me six months ago mm. so it's it's a it's a challenge um yeah it's, it's all a learning experience shall we say <laughs> do you ever wonder whether the, the, on the flip side, whether the challenges you faced actually ended, you ended up going down a road that you might, that, that a white man might never have been able to do, to have all these other incredible opportunities. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering out loud because, you know, sometimes when you hit a wall, you have to 
you have to find another way. And so therefore you end up doing stuff that you may not have considered before. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm such a believer in fate and, you know, the sliding doors concept that whichever way you kind of, which whatever setbacks you you have and this is why it's really important to stay positive and yeah. why I've, why I've been talking to myself for the last six months it has been a really tough period yeah, but yeah. everything happens for a reason and you know this is meant to happen and it's meant to take me in a different direction maybe I don't I don't know um so I I completely agree with that um I also think it for me personally it really spurred on my determination mm. um because it was something that I was so so passionate about and something that I knew I would be good at um that that when these sort of setbacks happened I didn't sort of sit there and think oh poor me I just thought okay well what's the next opportunity you know what what do I do next where do I go next and who do I need to get in front of and and, and you know that's I think if you speak to any of my mentors or people who've been in my past they would all tell you that I would always say well, what do I need to do next? You know, yeah. okay, you've said to me this, and, and I've always asked for feedback from interview process or for anything. And it's always been like, well, so what, what is it that I need to do? What do I need on my CV? What do I, what's lacking that I, I can do? And, and again, it is that almost dogged determination um, that, that I, that again, I know isn't natural for everybody, but it's, I, I completely agree that I think that that has most likely got me to where I am today. I, I love I love that positivity in the face of you know adversity. I love that you say that. And I was just sort of thinking of the quote. What is it they say that you know people say you're lucky? Well, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I seem to become. Yeah, that sort of thing. And the persistence in the face of it all. Strangely, you sort of you seem to find that in sports people though, because as you say, there's so much more than just fitness that you get from sport. There is persistence. There is understanding how to be coachable. There is understanding that you don't just go from zero to hero overnight. You have to get past the pitfalls, get past the injuries, get past the, you know, you're not good enough or someone else was better. You know, that must help surely in your life in general. Definitely. And I think um, I credit myself with a really strong sense of self-awareness. So I'm very, Mm. very aware of my weaknesses. Um, and that's been something I've learned over the last 20 years. Because if you ask my school friends when I was 18, they'd probably say I was a bit of a pain. But <laughs> it's like knowing... I think most people's school friends would say that everybody was a pain when they were 18. <laughs> but, you know, there was just things that, that you know, and a lot of it was centred around my insecurities, around my own self-perception. But being aware of those and understanding um, how they impact your life, I think, is a huge... I think it's a huge skill and I feel quite lucky to have that. Um, but it is, you know, I think being aware of your weaknesses and, and you know, that's, that's why, you know, maybe I didn't need an MBA, but I was like, well, I have the experience. No one's given me a chance with this experience because I'm a lawyer. So I'm going to go out and get an MBA just so I've got it on my CV and then no one can actually say to me that I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's just, it's just figuring out what your short, what your potential shortcomings could be. And again, it's, you know, there's a reason I'm in my forties and achieving everything I've striven to do my entire life is because mm. it takes that long to do that. You know, these, these things don't happen 
you know, straight off, you know, you learn about what you need, about which direction you need to take your life in. Um, but, but it is also figuring out what you personally are lacking. And, and sometimes it's not qualifications. It's just kindness or uh, humility or, um, mm. you know, just, just an understanding of how the world works, which, you know, is something that just takes time. Yeah. And talking of kindness and understanding and empathy, you shortly, well, not so long ago, you know, you'd, you'd been married, you went through a divorce and it's sort of a culmination of things that happen, including being blown up in a speedboat, which uh, is a story in itself. Um, you know, there, there was quite a, there was a bad period, let's say, what about is about four years ago? Yeah, no, I mean, it was exactly that. I um, I, I got divorced four years ago. Um, there was a, a big corruption scandal with the Federation I was dealing with at the time. And uh, I was sort of being dragged through the media. Um, and I thought my career was over. <laughs> mm. um, and then, yeah, then getting blown up on a speedboat um, is pretty, was, was pretty traumatic. And we hasten to add that it was an accident. It wasn't a James Bond baddie, you know, chasing you through Lake Geneva. It was, um, there's still a court case going on that against the guys who sold the boat. But um, no, it was, uh, it was a bit of a, a reset moment in life. You know, I, I like mm. to think that I'm pretty strong, but at, at moments like that, um, you realise that actually we're all human and can't take everything, can't keep going. Mm. um so certainly it was it was a bit of a dark time for me um but also again going back to the point that you you said earlier it was also such a critical time for me because I took a step back and realized that I was working so hard I was I mean I was abroad I was on planes every week I was in Asia three weeks of the month Mm. I was traveling like a crazy person possibly contributed to the demise of my marriage mm. um but all of these things that I was so focused on on a on a goal that I'd sort of lost my way a little mm. bit um and again like I I loved my job but I also then realized that it wasn't giving me what I'd set out to do um you know going back to that whole thing about development angle of sport and keeping people in sport I justified it by saying well by bringing money into sport then that's you know and, and, and putting it on television then that's that's growing sports but actually I wanted something a lot more mm-hmm. um so it definitely was a catalyst for me to think about my personal situation my my career what I wanted and to actually yeah start again so that was what kick-started the process to me um, resigning two years ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) taking a step out of my very very comfortable life Mm -hmm. um, and uh, going out on my own which was was really scary Um, really scary but incredibly liberating and empowering and again just being around these um you know, there's, uh, lawyers aren't entrepreneurs generally. Mm. We're very risk averse. We, <laughs> we like to know. I'd plan my life out for the next 10 years always. And, and suddenly I made the switch to being only concerned about what was happening next week. <laughs> um, and 
it was it was really daunting but but I loved it I loved every minute of of my first year um I had a really really good year Mm -hmm. um things went really well and and I realized that this was what I really wanted to do and then COVID hit Mm. (laughs) and it was really it was a month after the anniversary of my of of, yeah my first year of, of of being out there on my own and you know I mean it's it's hit all of us yeah. it's uh, everyone's managed it differently mm-hmm. everyone's handled it differently um I look back at sort of posts I, I wrote at the time you know talking about recovery and how we needed to be thinking about the future and this was in April I had no idea <laughs> I thought it was going to be over in a few months <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> I mean, honestly, in March, when they were talking about cancer the Olympics, I was like, you people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's, it's kind of the last month, particularly for me, has been really difficult because I think when March hit, I just put my head down and I worked and I, I just planned for the future. And I did all this work around my brand and my profile. And I, I you know, I, I was really motivated, mm. but then you know, when the second wave started to hit again and, you know, countries started going into lockdown and in, in England, we were about to let spectators back into the stadium and then that got pulled. Um, and suddenly it was this really acute awareness that, okay, the next six months of winter is going to be challenging, mm. but really from a commercial perspective in sport, we're looking at two years, yeah. really, um, which isn't a great time to be an entrepreneur. No, not so much. <laughs> um, so it's been, it's been a, yeah, it's been an interesting, I feel like I've almost had this, I feel like I got blown up on a boat six weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm, and I'm back in that, in that headspace a little bit, but it's, um, but you know, again, I think I hate using this word everyone's using, but it is about pivoting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was the very about... word on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh my goodness can we stop saying that um but no I mean I've really um looked at different opportunities and been thinking okay maybe there are some things that I really want to engage in but that maybe have to be put on hold for a bit I did look at going back into full-time employment but really it's not the angle I want to go mm-hmm. to so I'm I'm really looking at um yeah new opportunities and 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 how I can do things differently um and again feeling quite grateful to to be in a situation where yes there's this massive external nightmare going on but actually I'm in control of my life so if I was in employment would I be terrified that I was about to lose my job you know I've had a lot of friends who've lost their jobs Mm -hmm. over the last six months and it's been horrific because they've been just waiting to be told um and you know obviously finding new employment's not easy at the moment so I like I like the fact that I'm in control of all of that yeah um but it is it's been a it's been a really difficult time for everyone it has been a difficult time for everyone and, and something you mentioned to me before about the fact that people look at people in different situations throughout all of this and say well it's easy for you because it's easy for you because and of course there's gratitude there's gratitude that we're all well there's gratitude for those of us who are fortunately you know have family members who are all still well those of us who as you say have control of our lives we live in beautiful places but it is not easy for anybody you know those 
people at home with tiny children in a one bed apartment or those people, you know, with who have to shield can't see anybody. Um, and as you have, you know, you said you, you've been on your own. It's tough. It's tough for everybody. Yeah. And I think I think the sort of the key takeaway that I've found is, is you know, is empathy. You know, I think mm. it's it's times like this that we all have to just be understanding of each other and just try to understand that it's it's really easy to for people to look at me and just think, oh, Rowena has it so easy. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's got this house in the mountains. She's got this life. She can go biking. She can do whatever what she wants. But but actually, it's you know, a I was away from that life. <laughs> I was stuck in London. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it's you know, everyone's got their own challenges. And um, yes, I didn't have to juggle work with caring for children which I know is a huge was a huge difficulty for a lot of people Mm. um but really there were different things and and you know one thing I really struggled with um was when I was sort of labeled as having it easy because I was single and and out there and doing this on my own and and I think the thing that people don't understand is that it's 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 as hard being on your own and trying to get your head around all of this stuff that's going on and you know, wondering what's going to happen next and wondering, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, all I'm doing is getting older in lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all that's happening right now. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's really challenging, you know, and it's, I think people also underestimate, it's something that I don't talk about a lot, but, you know, the fact that I don't have a family. I think mm-hmm. people often assume that it's a choice um and I think that's where lockdown's been quite hard when you hear people saying to you oh you're lucky you don't have children Mm. I don't see it as being lucky I don't have children you know it's 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 certainly not a choice that I've made um and and that's where I think empathy becomes really important because everyone's got their own battles everyone no matter how and and I do caveat this by saying I do think that I have a very very good life it's I've structured it in a way purposely for, yeah. to do it this way. Um, but but there are things missing in that life. And, yeah. and sometimes it's it's not easy for, for all of us. And it, no matter how easy we seem to be having it, it's, it's not necessarily easy. I don't know if I've said that well. No, you absolutely have. <laughs> you absolutely have. And strangely, you are you were the second person in the same day to mention to me something that I hadn't really thought about before um, when we were just sort of having a a quick um, email exchange the other day in that women can be very odd, if that's the right word to use, with other women who do not have children. And I was a little bit shocked, not that I don't disbelieve it, not that I disbelieve it, I just, I, I was really shocked and saddened to hear that. Is that that some is that something you experience often or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a combination. I think I put my I put pressure on myself as well. Like I I kind of think, you know, women we have this fundamental role on earth, and that's to reproduce mm-hmm. and to be the parent, the mother of the family, to to be the sort of the matron of the matriarchal figure in the family. Um, and so there is something that almost. I feel personally for myself that defeminizes me for not having that role 
And again, it's not that I want to be the, the career woman, the powerful career woman um, uh, who's, who's, who has that focus. Actually, I'd, I'd love to have both. You know, my mother was a working, a full-time mm-hmm. working mother. I always said that I would be able to do both because I believe I would do both. Um, but to not be able to do that is something that's a real internal struggle I have. Mm-hmm. Um and it's and it's interesting because um, whether it's a conscious decision or not, you do get ostracised when you don't have children. Mm-hmm. And it's it's you know people always make the assumption that oh you won't want to come to this event because it's just going to be full of children. Mm-hmm. I mean I have hundreds of godchildren <laughs> and I've got an amazing niece and nephew and I actually um, with an ex partner of mine once we were talking about his children and he said to me oh you wouldn't understand mm. you haven't got children and he learned pretty quickly that that, that wasn't the case because I have a very very big role in a lot of children's lives um, and but it is this whole assumptions that are made about you um, and again it is I'm talking massively generalizing because I have a lot of friends who I'm very involved in their entire in their family world mm. um, and who don't think twice about inviting me on a holiday with them and their children or, or doing anything like mm. that um, but suddenly you do find yourself being left out in the cold a little bit mm. and being treated differently and yeah it is it is society judges you a little bit um because everyone assumes that you're and and, 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 you know in fairness I was traveling a lot in my past life so I wasn't around a lot but you still want to be invited to to do things (laughs) (laughs) and and it 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 was a real it was a real challenge for me because I just suddenly had these own demons I was battling internally um about my own how I felt about not being a mother and not having that Mm. role um but then being judged by society for that as well Um, and like I said then Covid hits and it's a double whammy because then it comes to the forefront because I'm lucky to be in the situation that I'm in um it's it's it really is quite difficult God, we we can't win as women often. No, you know, judge <laughs> you damned if you don't. And what do you do? Because that, well, that's a lot of it's a lot of stuff to process. You know, all the stuff you were talking about, divorce and uh, being in a very nasty accident. Um, you know, scared for your professional reputation, and now with a you know uncertainty about your business and your life going forward in terms of your personal life and and having to perhaps sit with the fact that you may not have children what do you do and and how do you think you learned from the last time you had the, the reset in order to sort of see you self forward safely and you know happily so i it's really difficult to, to keep learnings in your head yeah. <laughs> certainly over the last six weeks I've, I've, I've struggled and uh, I would have loved to have gone back four years and thought okay what did I do back then um, mm. but what I did do was um, I became a bit reclusive and whether that's good or bad it was good for me to just be able to take some time out to figure mm. things out in my own head um, and to just stop and slow down and you know I always say maybe these these things happen because your body is just like you can't keep going Mm. like this 
so so really it's I do actually believe that too so just yeah (laughs) no I mean it's you know I think yeah when I when I resigned last when I resigned they thought I'd had adrenal fatigue and all these things sort of happened to Mm. me and it was it was it is your body's way of saying you can't keep going like this um and I think that I don't know. I'm not completely in the clear right now. You know, we're having this conversation. We, we've spoken a lot over the last two weeks, and I said that I wasn't sure if it was the right time to have this conversation yeah. um, because I am still processing and I am still um, working things out. But I know deep down inside that I'll be okay, and I just have to refigure out that self-belief. Mm. I know it's there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and the last few weeks, it's got really murky, um, and and there's panic, and there's all sorts of things like that. But certainly um, now, I'm starting to see it again, and and it is just time. It is just just thought processes, and you know, not mm. going a hundred miles an hour all the time um to be able to step back and look at the bigger picture um and that's certainly where I feel right now um and I think it's 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 good it's it's given me sort of clarity in my head um I'm now starting to talk to people again and assess Mm -hmm. opportunities you know personally and professionally um and I think that maybe that space I had was just Mm. really good just really good for me and actually, you know, I came back to London two weeks ago and I've been in self-isolation because you have to when you come back from Switzerland. And, you know, three years ago, I'd be like, what, you want me to sit in my flat for two weeks <laughs> without leaving? Um, but actually, it's, you know, I'm, I've, I've got three days left. It's brilliant. And I just, I do think that it was, you know, it's, and I had two weeks in the mountains before that when I didn't see anyone. I, didn't, I was just literally going out on my bike and actually you know that this month that I've had with myself um has actually been quite eye-opening and just sorry sorry to go back to your question I guess Mm. it would be more that it is just taking time out every so often you know I think we we all live in this crazy rat race um and things don't always work out you know and and actually we need things to not always work out because otherwise you don't appreciate the good things when they happen yeah right back to the sport analogy of learning how to deal with disappointment and failure and 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 moving on yeah and and making sure you do learn from it you know Mm. making sure that I mean I've learned I was always such a planner for this for for doomsday (laughs) (laughs) I was always like okay what happens if Covid hits and you know it is and and you know fortunately I was because I am in a situation that you know potentially I wouldn't be having set up a business a year ago yeah but um but it's also learned me to take life as it comes a little bit as well and not always think about what if what if what if and Mm. to live a little more in the now and and the present and just be really grateful for the the simple things you know like on Saturday when I finish my isolation I'll be really excited just to be able to go for a walk in Hyde Park so nice go for a coffee even if it's a takeaway (laughs) just to just to be able to do something that you know normally I'd be like oh my god I'm going to Barry's boot camp and burn a thousand calories and (laughs) 
get back and do some work. <laughs> but actually, it's 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 just nice just to look at look at life a little bit differently, I guess. It is. There's so, there's so much to, I think, I have found since I had my kind of wobble last year. Is there's so much to just being kind to yourself, mm. because I think a lot of the time we say terrible things to ourselves that you would never dream of saying to anyone else or thinking about anybody else. You know, I've got to do this or you've got to do that or, uh, you know, it's so, it's so useful just to be, to, to be nicer to yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if I think back over the last few weeks, you know, a few friends have said to me, Ro, if this was you looking at one of your best friends, what would you be advising them right now? Exactly. And I knew exactly what I'd be saying. And I said, yeah, but it's different. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> this doesn't happen to me. <laughs> but actually, I think it is, you know, it is, again, goes back to that point that we're all only human. And I can still take over the world. Maybe I just need a few weeks off before I do that. <laughs> and that's where I am right now. So in a few weeks, I'm going to be back on it, Casey. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. I absolutely have absolutely no doubt of that. And what is uh, so encouraging to hear, although it, you would never wish it on your worst enemy, is that, you know, people who achieve as much as you have, someone like you who has, you know, this phenomenal uh, background and career and as you say you know you're in your 40s at the top of your game you're probably looking around the table thinking how did I get to be one of the oldest and most experienced here <laughs> that you know in real life there's you know we're all facing things demons and uh, and things that you can never imagine and so when you it's the old adage of when you meet somebody just you know be kind because they're all facing things that you have absolutely no idea about yeah I completely agree and so um it is reassuring uh, but it is also reassuring when I hear the positivity and uh, you know the, the, the I dare I say it, excitement in your voice at how it will be when you know that you you know you'll feel better and you'll come to terms with these things and get help be kind to yourself and and that sort of thing so I love to hear that and I have absolutely no doubt that you will take over and change the sports world <laughs> for the better <laughs> that's the plan that's the plan <laughs> excellent and what what uh you know I obviously there we've just discussed that there isn't much of a plan but what what are you are there some things that you're looking forward to soon uh, from a work perspective, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and life, yeah, oh yeah, okay, sorry, sorry, my work, my work, what there is, there is life outside of work. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I am um, now. I, I there are some really exciting opportunities from a work perspective that I'm really excited about. Um, that I'm now focusing my mind on. Um, you know, I'm really um, excited. I, I made a decision that I'm going to come and spend some time in the mountains again um, over winter. You know, I love, I love, I love being in the mountains. You know, I, I talk to people about tree therapy and I, I always say that the reason I didn't have a heart attack in my last job was because I'd come back, I'd fly back from all these places and I'd literally put my skins on and just go up into the mountains. Um, mm. And I know how, and that, that's what this year's taught me, how much I do need that in my life. Um, so I'm really excited about spending some more time in the mountains um, with, with my friends you know right. just uh, just really yeah and you know I've had some really good family time over the last eight or nine months um nice. so you know now it's it's yeah I think definitely it's I'm looking forward to 
taking things in my stride a little bit more. But uh, no, definitely feeling positive, really looking forward to this nightmare being over and, and all of us getting our lives back on track, hopefully being at the next Olympics in Tokyo next summer. But Yeah, so can I just ask a question about that? Does that mean that the, the next one will be three years after? Or, I'm sorry, I haven't really followed it, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah, so there'll so be a three-year gap. It's going to be Tokyo 2020 and 2021, and uh-huh. then it's going to be Paris 2024, and then LA 2028. And that I was reading that that makes quite a big difference in terms of, you know, the athletes, because obviously I keep reading about athletes who are heading in saying, oh, yay, I can now qualify because I'm going to be old enough. But then, of course, I hadn't really considered the athletes that will be adding an extra year onto their performance when they're perhaps tipping out the best of their at the best of their at their peak yeah no I mean unfortunately there's winners Mm. and losers in this whole situation you know there are some athletes who would have this year would have been their Mm. last year and you know this they were hoping to have their swan song and it was going to be going out with with Tokyo and so they won't be there Mm. next year um but then there are other athletes who perhaps would have been just a year off this year and we'll get an opportunity now for next year so it's 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 unfortunate but I think the overwhelming um majority of athletes uh believed it was the right thing to do I think you know athletes can train they didn't you know there were different rules for different people in different Mm. countries um it would have been I mean a we we couldn't Mm. have had it but even if you know at, at the point they made the decision um, it was absolutely the right thing to do, but yeah, unfortunately, there it means that there will be some some athletes who won't be there, and also, you know, it's it's really challenging for sports because a lot of their funding mm-hmm. cycles go in four years around yeah. the Olympics, and so um, we're seeing a lot of sports struggling because they won't get their cash injection that they would have got Gosh. this time um, because they now have to wait for another year. Mm-hmm. So, and that's even some of the big federations, you know, who are really reliant on the money that they get mm-hmm. from the Olympics. So there are a lot of knock-on effects. Leave aside the complete rescheduling of the entire global sporting <sighs> calendar as a result of Insane. <laughs> um, which, you know, then you start to think, oh my goodness, if there's another postponement, then what happens? Um, yeah. So, you know, this is why we sort of hear them saying it, it won't be postponed again. It's either taking place next summer or it's not taking place. And do you think if, if even if it does take place and there's still restrictions, they'll do it without audience? Or is that like a complete horror story in terms of financially? So, I mean, financially, it will be really tough for the for the organising committee um, mm. because that is that is a large part of their income. Mm. Um, it also is... The Olympics is a slightly special event, not like anything else. And the whole part of the, the whole the whole ethos of the Olympics is the taking part that counts. Mm. And the spectators are a big part of that. Yeah. So it would be um, difficult for an Olympics to take place without spectators. I'm not saying that it won't. I don't know what the IOC will decide. But certainly uh, a few months ago when we were talking about a spectator's Olympics, it was absolutely not but you know who knows I also think there are bigger issues that um there are a lot of um significant countries in the world like Brazil and India who are really struggling with this pandemic and even if we have a vaccine whether we'll be in a position to roll it out for everybody by that stage and the whole concept of the Olympics is that it's it's fair for everybody so it's not just looking at whether the big nations like China the US 
the UK can come is actually everybody needs to be able to make yeah. it. So if some countries are prejudiced as a result of it, um, it kind of goes against the again the, the whole ethos, the meaning behind the Olympics. Yeah. Gosh, complicated. I actually just had one last question for you, which I meant to ask when we were talking about work before, if you don't mind, because I find it so brilliant. It's about your election. I assumed you were elected, but you may not have been. Um, But you're um, on being on the National Sports Council in Sri Lanka. That must be a massive. How how proud do you feel about that? (laughs) That was um, that was a pretty special moment, actually. It's um, I had been. so so we didn't really talk about it but I ran in Sri Lanka in 20 mm-hmm. in, sorry, in 20 1997 <laughs> a long time ago um and again because of my father's connection like he he represented Sri Lanka in five different sports wow and because of all that connection to Sri Lanka and the fact that it is a big part of my life um I always have wanted to give back to sport in Sri Lanka um and especially because of all of the connections I have I, there are I think I have an ability to make a difference just mm. even through my network um so for about the last five years I've been um really I say I use the word lobbying because I was almost <laughs> lobbying <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was actually three different sports ministers in that time because we've had so many elections mm. um and I to the extent that uh two years ago on Christmas Day, um, I was down on the south south of the island with my family for Christmas, and actually I got a, a car and uh, I had a driver drive me to Colombo for a half an hour meeting with the then <laughs> sports minister. Driving, but I missed entire entire Christmas Day. We we agreed to have Christmas dinner that day, <laughs> um, but I spent the entire day in a car driving back up to Colombo and down for this meeting um, because it was something that I felt so so passionate about something you know again going back to this whole making a difference mm. um thing to the way it all happened with the new the, the elections happened really quickly and um and the new sports minister was just really motivated to make change and he just wanted to do it straight away um and so I was even a bit shocked at how quickly it all happened <laughs> Um, because I thought it was, you know, like, like I said, five years and suddenly in like two weeks, um, then I got the, the call up. But it was, um, it's really, really positive. I mean, it's been so well received in, in, in Sri Lanka. I woke up on the Saturday and I was all over the front pages of all the newspapers. Wow. Because everybody was just so positive about this decision that the sportsmen had taken. And, you know, we have a really great council, a lot of uh, people from the business world, a lot of people from the sporting world in Sri Lanka, and then obviously there's me um, from the international side of it, mm-hmm. um, and and it's been great because the uptake here has been amazing. I've had UK Sport reach out to me. I've had um, a lot of consultancies who've got experience in this area. So it's it's been really really positive, and actually already we've progressed. So I mean this all happened in in the middle of August, mm. um, and there's been a lot of meetings. Um, but again, perhaps if not for COVID, it wouldn't have been so acceptable for Zoom, especially in Sri Lanka. Mm. Um, I think they would have struggled with me being here and, and then being there. But really, we've been doing everything by, by Zoom. I've had some very early Saturday morning meetings sometimes. It's really great. And I actually see that we have a really good plan in place. Um, and I really believe that we will be able to make a difference. And, and that feels amazing um to to think that maybe we could be living what england was 25 years ago and maybe sranka might feature in some medals table amazing which would be amazing that's really exciting what a huge achievement and uh 
um, yeah, I look forward to seeing where Sri Lanka is in the next, uh, you know, in the next few years. As you give us, give us a couple of, give us yeah, a couple just, of Olympics. Yeah, just a couple. <laughs> I'm sure by Paris, will be, you know. <laughs> um, thank you very much, so much for your time and your honesty and sharing quite a lot of stuff with me. I really appreciate it. The whole purpose of this podcast is to get women talking about things that are a little bit difficult, um, so that, well, not always difficult, but, you know, things that, that make other people go, oh, I'm not the only person who feels like that. So I'm really grateful for your, your time and your energy on this. Thanks so much, Katie. And we will speak to you very soon, I hope. Definitely. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.